Hey, Harpy Hour fans. We're running a very special promotion for all of our loyal listeners. It's a merch giveaway, specifically our logo stickers, because, well, it's the only merch we have right now. But there's a catch. We're not just giving them away. You have to earn them. To get a sticker, subscribe, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or any of your preferred streaming platforms. So send us a screenshot or a picture proof that you've done both of those things. So again, that's subscribing to the show and leaving a review. You can send it to any of our social media accounts at Harpy Hour Pod, or you can email it to harpyhourpodcast at gmail.com. Of course, also give us your address so we can mail you the sticker. You'll also get a shout out on social media and in an episode of the show for our thanks. And don't worry if you can only do one of those two things for whatever reason, I don't know why, do both. You'll still get a shout out, but no sticker. So make the effort. Do better. This promo is only going to last until we've given away our first 20 stickers or if this whole thing crashes and burns, whatever happens first. So hurry up, run, don't walk and get your sticker now. Also, don't forget to tell your friends because, you know, what's cooler than having matching stickers on your water bottle or a laptop? Nothing. Nothing. There's literally nothing cooler than that. Nope. So... Tell your friends, you can each get stickers, show off your friendship, and share your Harpy love. And remember, if you want to see even more Harpy Hour merch coming up, support us on Patreon. These funds will help us improve the show and grow our brand. Now, before you enjoy the episode, check out this promo for another awesome podcast to add to your list. And stick around for Harpy Hour! Hey, everybody. I'm Steve. And I'm Izzy. And this is Everything Everything I I Learned From from Movies. And tonight, tonight, like every night, we bring you <laughs> questionable movies and pass the lessons that we've learned on to you, as well as we go over some great beer and funny third thing. Yes, we're excellent beer reviewers. And as BJCP certified beer judges, we sort of know what we're talking about in regards to that. The movies. So if you want to hear us talk about uh, odd movies and uh, is he talking about BJing, listen to us at eilfm.podbean.com. That's everything I learned from movies.podbean.com. Hey, honey, are you ready to pop that top? Woo, my top. Harpy Hour may contain explicit language as well as graphic, violence, and sexual content. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Harpy Hour, the harpiest of all the hours. Aloha. We're the harpies. I'm Tracy. I'm Liz. I'm Steph. Okay. (laughs) Hi, Steph. (laughs) Showed up for work. Thanks for showing up to work today. Yeah, thanks Mm -hmm. for showing up to our podcast where we share ridiculous stories (laughs) in history, science, and entertainment. Nice seamless segue. Seamless. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Jesus. So you showed up, but you were late earlier and took forever getting us started. Oh, because I made scones this morning. Look at your recipe, Elizabeth. The um I have a lot of recipes. The um (laughs) sun dried tomato and goat cheese one. I love that one. I know my favorite too. So I made those and they needed a little a few more minutes. So I put it in the timer, told my boyfriend, I'm like, it's going to go off in two minutes. 
please get him out and deliver scones to me. I got mm-hmm, here mm-hmm. into the bedroom, got ready to record, and all of a sudden I hear screaming and cursing from the kitchen <laughs> and banging. <laughs> I run yep. over there. Yep. And the pan is on, like the cookie sheet is on the bottom of the oven somehow, like all the way at the bottom. <laughs> there are scones everywhere. <laughs> oh my God. Like in the oven, oven or like on the floor, and mostly in the oven and on like the (laughs) open oven door. Some of them were jammed between like the hinge of the oven door, and some of them got into the drawer underneath. (laughs) Jesus! And he had burned his finger because he couldn't find the oven mitt that I had laid next to the oven. It was out on the counter right next to the oven. This man is responsible for saving lives in (laughs) the emergency room. uh, he grabbed the dish towel that was a little bit wet and tried to use that and burned his finger, dropped the scones. So, <laughs> Mother. God damn it. He didn't like, you know, like triple fold the towel. Or I don't anything. know what he did. He just, he bunched it. God, the man is like an adamant toilet paper holder, not a buncher, but does not fold the towel apparently when he tries to use it too. <laughs> pull scones out of the oven. I didn't I realize know. that that was something we should know about our significant other. Whether yeah, that they... was more than I ever anticipated knowing. Yeah. I don't even know that about each of you. I'm a buncher. Uh, I think I'm, I'm a, a buncher. buncher. Yeah, yeah, we're bunchers. We're, t- old. we're team bunchers. I'm I'm pretty sure Craig bunches too. Yeah. Well, he he asked me about my, my fun- bunching versus folding technique. Well, he's on the wrong side of history. He's, Does he know that? He's a folder. Oh, it says Does it saves more toilet paper. Put the roll on the, the wrong thing, way. The wrong way. No, it seems to be on the right way whenever I'm there. Okay. Yeah. Partially redeemed himself. I mean, but not fully. <laughs> so yeah, that's what happened. That's why I was late. Okay, but so attending to his goes? wounds yet again. Delicious. <laughs> and when are we receiving ours in the mail? Um, I can make my own. She can make her own. I yeah. cannot. Please send it to Denver. <laughs> Please send to Denver. Thank you. They're kind of, um, some of them are scone crumbs now. It's just kind of pieces <laughs> of scones. Please don't send me the floor scones. <laughs> None of them were on the floor. <laughs> just the floor of the oven. That makes me think of the video with Andy Samberg, uh, the Lonely Island video where he's like, I threw oh, I'm it an on adult. the ground. Yeah. <laughs> Merry happy birthday to the ground. <laughs> Did I tell you guys that my, I don't think I have, that my roommate Maria, who is 22, she had never heard the Dick in a Box song. What? <laughs> right? Oh, I was like, I could tell you exactly where I was when I heard the Dick in the Box song. <laughs> it is a seminal classic. Wasn't that like freshman year college? It was freshman year because uh, Steph and I were at NYU and it was a Saturday night and we weren't going out or we were we had like a pajama party or something and we weren't getting together until like after it had started and so i'm like oh i'll watch a little bit of snl like while i wait and that it was the dick in the box episode oh my god i don't remember i know i know exactly i just remember that it was freshman year no that was freshman year and i remember watching it before we went to like 
a pajama party before all of our listeners think that we were lame and didn't do anything on a Saturday night. I was going to say, nowadays, we if I'm not out by the time SNL is on, I'm not going Correct. Out. Correct. <laughs> well, we, we were 18. We were 18 at the time. We were 18. So. We were <laughs> bibbas. Real bibbas. All right. All right. Let's, uh, let's do let's this. Get to the, let's get to the teasers. Tracy. Yes. Tease me. Ooh, baby. This week, I am going to harp on conjugal customs. Hmm. Prison yes. sex? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's what it sounds like. <laughs> yes, Elizabeth. I'm just going to talk about the merits of prison sex. I'm dibs, dibs. <laughs> <laughs> so you have dibs if you've already done topic. the topic. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's not my topic, we're, but we're it will be. Right track. But it will be. <gasps> nice. Hey, Liz. Yeah. What you doing? I'm doing Ghost Girls. Ooh. I know what this is. Uh-huh. I don't. Don't tell me. Liz and I were for book club. We almost read. We, our book club that we do, listeners, is we pick a theme and everyone picks a different book within that theme. So we had obscure history and Liz and I ended up picking the same book, but I let her have it. I was going to do this topic or I wanted to do this topic. We argued. She can have I don't it. Re- I don't remember this. I told you a little bit about it at our actual book club, but I didn't go into a lot of detail because I wanted it to be raw and authentic for, yeah. for a harpy hour. Thanks for keeping it raw for me, Liz. Mm-hmm. Ooh, baby. Hey, Steph. Yes. What are you harping on today? My segment is called, If the Spirit Won't Move You, American Airlines Will. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds more like a statement of fact, but all right. (laughs) Something Uh, about... You won't guess it. Budget airline. No, no, no. You you won't guess it. You will not guess it. 100% you will not guess it. Oh my. All right. Well, do 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 do. <laughs> <laughs> do 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 it. Okay, ready? For my segment, like I said, we're doing conjugal customs. So I'm going to talk about the origins of wedding traditions. I wonder why this was on your mind. <laughs> I guess conjugal does have it's a synonym beyond, for marriage. Yeah, it goes beyond just conjugal visits. And it that's sure just how does. everyone knows it. <laughs> it sure does. For this segment, we are going to focus on traditional Judeo-Christian weddings, specifically Christian weddings in the United States, or else we will never finish because there are so many wedding variations across cultures and countries and faiths and blah, blah, blah. So we're not doing that. Yes. We're doing just traditional Christian weddings in the United States. The subtext of this segment should definitely be that evil spirits frequent a lot of wedding ceremonies. (laughs) (laughs) And also that everything is patriarchy. The end. So, the concept of marriage is held over from our hunter-gatherer days. It capitalized on traditional gender roles where the male goes out and hunts and the female cares for the children in the household. And that was the division of labor so that we could survive. These are not from caveman days. Shocker. So let's get into it. First, I'm going to talk about the bride. So I have these divided into 
the bride, the bridal party, the ceremony, the reception, and then like the aftermath. So let's get into the bride. There's a lot of shit with the bride, you guys. So the veil. There are a lot of theories, but the veil is said to have originated around 1300 BC. Also, all of these guesses. Yeah, all Mm -hmm. of these guesses are very, very like loose Mm -hmm. because all of my sources had like general. So there's ranges that I basically included because there was just so much guessing. Like nobody has pinpointed this. So we're going to be talking about a lot of eras like the ancient Romans, Victorian era, like those like ranges. Okay, we're talking about the bridal veil. The first reason was evil spirits, which you will hear again and again. The bride is vulnerable to enchantments, clearly, and must be protected from evil spirits seeking to steal her from the groom or to curse their union. Who would be trying to curse them? The evil spirits. Just like... They go to a lot of fucking weddings, you guys. (laughs) (laughs) The ancient Romans... We're defining that as 8th century BCE to about 5th century ADE, okay? So the ancient Romans used flame-colored veils to ward off the evil spirits. Oh. So apparently they're not fans of fire. Hmm. And, yeah. I didn't know Everyone knows that. Clearly. Clearly. It's common knowledge that evil spirits are not fans of fire, so. Mm -hmm. Another reason is to protect everybody's valuable feelings. How does That's why you wear a veil. Text your feeling. I'm so glad you asked, Liz. The belief that if the groom sees the bride before they are married, it means bad luck for their marriage. You know, that's that's super well-known superstition. So in arranged marriage, this was particularly important because a groom could decide not to marry the bride on site because he doesn't want to bang her. Mm-hmm. Hashtag patriarchy. And I'm guessing the bride didn't have that same... Uh... Of course not. We are, but wi- we are but women with our tiny uterine brains. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> the veil came about so that the bride's looks were obscured until the moment after they were married. So it's like a gotcha moment. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> like, LOL, I'm actually super ugly. <laughs> I mean, Craig obviously knows you're beautiful. He has seen me multiple times. There- he knows what he's <laughs> In any opportunity at your wedding to have a gotcha moment. Like, I never even would have thought that a wedding should have one. And now yours needs one. And now we're missing a one. I'll think of one. Like, I mean, it, I would love it. I know you wouldn't do it, but I would love it if you had the veil on and he like pulled the veil off and you either had some kind of like clown makeup on yes. or like <laughs> geisha makeup or just like the scream mask, like something ridiculous. Yes. Well, I'm going to have a veil, but it's not covering gonna my be face. Covering. It's just, yeah, it's just the veil uh, at the, uh, in the back. So, mm. yeah, but, you know, it, traditionally it's in the front and then the groom moves the veil so right. that he can kiss the bride after they're declared. So that's, that was why before. In Jewish, now I, I don't have notes on this. I just know this from being at a, an interfaith wedding but in jewish tradition there's a whole thing about there's a whole like separate ceremony before the ceremony where the father presents the bride and the groom is like yep that's the one i ordered and like (laughs) (laughs) 
So in so there's the gotcha moment. Then in Victorian <laughs> times, which we are loosely defining as 1800s to early 1900s, in Victorian times, they're like, all right, we got the veil, but let's make it a class system. So they made the veil a status symbol of the bride's place in society. So like the weight of the veil, the length of the veil, the quality of the material all indicates wealth. So the heavier, the longer, the more expensive it means you're higher in society. That's why like Kate Middleton, when she married Prince William, had like the super fucking long cathedral veil. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Because she's high in society. Or she was becoming high in society, I guess. And the last reason is that is modesty. It shows respect to God during the religious sacrimonial like ceremony, sacramental ceremony. So that's where that comes from. Okay, something blue that could date as far back as 20 BC. Early Christians believed that the color blue is a symbol of purity and fidelity. You know, not the white fucking dress that she's wearing, but whatever. <laughs> That's why you always, whenever you see the Virgin Mary in like the nativity set or, you know, in paintings and shit, she's always in a blue robe hmm. because of huh. purity and fidelity. The bridal bouquet. I thought of Steph with this one and you oh. will see why. Right, you will see why in a minute. on from blue. Do you know what your something blue is going to be? I don't know yet. Why do you have something blue? I, I was just curious. Oh, I thought you had everything planned out. <laughs> no, I wanted something. Well, my She's something got like 11 months still. <laughs> my something borrowed is a purple ring from my grandmother. But I don't know what my something blue is going to be yet. I mean, there's blue. There's technically blue in my bouquet, but I don't know. Whatever. We'll we'll brainstorm this after the session. OK, bridal bouquet. This originated sometime between the 5th and 15th centuries. It was originally made of herbs, including garlic and dill. Mm. So imagine carrying that down the aisle. Garlic like and dill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's because during the plague, which is why I thought of Steph. Oh. <laughs> Did they think there were vampires? It yeah. was meant to ward off sickness and disease. Also to drive out the evil spirits, which are ever present at all the weddings. Carry a jar of pickles down the essentially down the aisle over time this was replaced by flower bouquets particularly those indigenous to like the location or the culture or whatever i could have done a whole segment on bouquets and their meaning but we will not do that because maybe someday when i get married i'll carry a pickle down the aisle i would be very excited it would be very phallic it would be very just like <laughs> good half sour pickle so wait, they carried was it garlic and garlic dill and dill hmm no, we extrapolated the pickles. Okay. It was just because well, garlic and dill are like things that you put in pickles. Thanks, Steph. That's why I went there. <laughs> okay. The bridal party. Bridesmaids. Why do we have bridesmaids? Well, let me tell you. It's a custom that evolved over time. In ancient Rome, the bridesmaids would dress in identical dresses to the bride. So this was oh, so, that, so you that they couldn't be snatched. Yeah, this was so that you could not identify the real bride and the marriage would be safe from curses and, you guessed it, spirits. evil fucking spirits! <laughs> Are evil spirits so easily fooled? They just like go by, yeah. like, they just have like a picture, like a wanted poster, and they're just looking for like who looks the closest to this, that's who I'm going also, after. Also like, also they're frightened by dill. Like, <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
Then in Victorian times, the bridesmaids wore white dresses, but they wore short veils to differentiate the bride, who, as you recall, was wearing a super long, heavy, well, colorful veil. Well, if she was of status. Correct. So if she was poor, then, you know, the veil got skimped on. But, yeah. I mean, spirits don't want poor bitches, right? No. They're not interested in those. When commercial dyes started to become widely available, that's when you started seeing the super ugly bridesmaid dresses, which (laughs) they literally were intended for the bride to be the most beautiful girl there so that the groom doesn't run off with a bridesmaid. Because again, they were like, oh, if the groom sees something better before he says I do, I guess he'll just grab the bridesmaid and run away. (laughs) Not going to commit. Yes. So you're welcome for not putting you in ugly dresses. Sounds like you've got a solid relationship you're building this marriage on. To be fair. Nowadays, you put your bridesmaids in pretty dresses so that they can bang the groomsmen. Because you're a good friend. (laughs) You're welcome. I don't know if that's going to happen at your wedding. I don't want to bang any of your groomsmen. They're either legitimately not eligible or not eligible to our criteria. Yes, (laughs) correct. (laughs) Not up to harpy par. That is correct. So the groomsmen, this originates from the bride napping tradition of the 12th century. This was most common in agricultural societies, even like to this day. So grooms would abduct their brides from the neighbors. Literally the origin of the phrase, will you take this woman? (laughs) Like, will you physically take her from your neighbor? So, obviously, you need all your best bros to help you kidnap your fiancé and fend off her defenders. Hashtag patriarchy. Mm. And the best man was just the strongest warrior of the time. So, it's like, it doesn't matter what you feel about your best man. Like, he's just your Goliath. The best at kidnapping. Yes. (laughs) He's like your security. Yeah. 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 He's absolutely your bodyguard. Like, making sure that you get your bitch. So, yeah. So thanks, patriarchy, for that one. Great. Flower girl. In ancient Rome, it was traditional for young virgins to carry sheaths of wheat during a wedding. These sheaths would bring well-being and good fortune to the newlyweds. And this is actually super gross that we use little girls because they are assumed to be virgins. Like, that's disgusting. Okay. Ring bearer. In Victorian times, pillows were super fucking expensive. So if you could afford a pillow for your wedding rings, you made a big display of it because it meant that you were ballin'. (laughs) So you give it to a child to run around with? So they originally had page boys that would carry the bride's massive fucking train down the aisle because it was made of heavy materials and all of that stuff if you were, you know, wealthy. So it was easy to just switch these page boys over from that tradition to carrying a pillow for the rich people's rings down the aisle. Let's get into the ceremony. Why does the bride's family traditionally pay for the wedding? Thanks, Mark and Sue. This tradition evolved from the traditional dowry paid by the That's what friend, I was gonna guess. by the yeah. bride's family to the groom upon an accepted proposal. Essentially a payment to take the bride off your hands <laughs> and to alleviate the financial burden she was about to become to the groom. <laughs> Not as common these days because we live in Trump's economy and everyone is equally poor. Hashtag feminism. Mm. Yep. Tie the knot. 
This is also referred to as hand fasting in the Celtic tradition. It symbolizes the binding of two lives. It may also refer to an engagement or a marriage without an officiant with the intent of having a ceremony with an officiant later. So you can do like a hand fasting ceremony if you're like right after you propose. And it's like like a a ring. Similar to like a promise ring, but like a ceremony. Does that make sense? It's, yeah. It sounds like eloping. Like we're gonna do this now and we'll have the big thing later. Honestly, it's a great pandemic compromise (laughs) if you can't have your wedding ceremony because COVID-19. Yeah, that old bitch. Wah, wah, that old chestnut. All right, moving on. Wedding rings. Let's talk about these little babies. The one ring to bind them all? It is. The one ring to bind two. Technically. Tonight is the night. When to become one. Okay. Perfect harmonizing. That was beautiful. The rings themselves, they are circles, which means eternity, which means there is no end to your commitment. I want a triangular ring. That's going to hurt on your finger. (laughs) This could date back to the Romans and the Egyptians. They thought that rings were maybe less restrictive than the hand or foot bindings that they would use when they captured brides. I mean, so, not wrong. Yeah. I mean, so it's like, oh, also, we kidnapped hand you. and foot bindings don't last forever. Well, <laughs> apparently until the ceremony. Presumably at some point you have to let them out. I mean, <laughs> wear handcuffs and shackles the rest of your life. I mean, that's essentially what marriage is. So finger placement. In the U.S., it's on the fourth finger on the left hand. And that's because the ancient Romans believed this finger had the vena amoris, which means the vein of love, and it goes directly to your heart. I don't know how true that is, but that's what the ancient Romans believed. Do you have any tolerance for that vein, Tracy? No, none whatsoever. Don't talk to me about veins. It's terrible. (laughs) Even the love vein. You wear your engagement ring on the right hand in Russia, Germany, Norway, and India because the left is considered sinister and unlucky. And in Chile, both men and women wear rings on the right hand during engagement and the left when they're married. So similar to like a clotter ring, but not necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. And then let's talk about diamonds, friends. Girl's best friend. So the first diamond engagement ring was given to Duchess Mary of Burgundy by the future Holy Roman Emperor Maximilian I of Austria in the 1470s. He did this because Mary was a super sought after woman because she was totally loaded and a ruler in her own right. (laughs) So this is how Max's proposal stood out. And it eventually worked because they got married in uh, 1477. So it all worked out. Diamonds were solidified as the engagement stone with the De Beers ad campaign, A Diamond is Forever, starting in 1948. Up until the early 21st century, De Beers controlled about 80 to 85% of the world's diamonds, which is a lot. Yeah, they have quite the monopoly or had quite the monopoly. Correct. I also want to briefly touch upon this uniquely American tradition. It's, It's the jumping the broom tradition. Jumping the broom? Yeah. You never heard of that? So this tradition is uniquely African-American because it was born out of black slavery in the U.S. And it's because marriages were illegal between slaves. 
So jumping the broom became the way slaves acknowledged marriage to one another in lieu of a legal wedding. Hmm. So you would hold hands and literally jump a broom. And it's like, okay, cool, slave married. So that's what happened. Why the broom? I don't... What? I don't know what... I, I think it was just a household item that most yeah, slaves had access to. I guess, yeah. have had other things right. to use yeah, I guess ceremonially. Yeah, so that's how they acknowledged each other's ceremony. And in culturally African-American weddings today, they still do it. Hmm, okay. As a nod to history. So. I've seen it like in movies and stuff. Yeah, it's real. Yeah, it's a very well-known tradition. The shower of rice that everyone throws at the end of the, as the bride and groom are leaving. So rice and grains have long been considered signs of prosperity, good fortune, fertility. Yeah, I was going to say like back in the day, if you were like throwing rice, like you must have been in good shape to just have extra rice right. laying around. You just like, have mm-hmm. rice to throw. Toss. Yeah. You just have a pillow. Don't need just this. have rice. Right. Exactly. So you would take your excess rice because you are so well off and you would throw it at the couple like, good job. Time for you to <laughs> be fertile and make babies. Here's some rice to get you started so you're not hungry. <laughs> So today, it's usually replaced by, like, sparklers, confetti, bubbles. Carbo load before you start baby making. <laughs> I mean, that's that's what I want. I want a giant pasta dinner before I go into baby making mode. Oh, my God. Instead of rice at your wedding, we should throw pasta. <laughs> okay, you can throw it at Craig, not at my dress. Okay, thanks. I'm also just, like, imagining Craig's like, so are you ready, babe? She's like, my tummy hurts. I <laughs> I ate too much pasta. Too fast. That's, I mean, that's the story of Craig's life essentially right now. (laughs) Okay, let's move to the reception. So the wedding cake. This was one of my favorite things. So in ancient Rome, the cake symbolizes fertility. It's customary to break multiple cakes over the bride's head, and then the what? And we're still doing this at your wedding. And the guests then had to pick up the crumbs. We are doing this at your wedding. You want to pick up the crumbs of my cake? I want to break it over your head. Yeah, cake over your head. (laughs) So it's cupcakes. So we just we would just be smashing cupcakes. Oh, no, they're going to have a cake. We're going to have have a little cake. Yeah. Bride and groom cake. It's not going to be like the big one, but it's going to be the tiered one. You're going to need security for that cake with us. around. Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And Chuck's on it. So back then you would make multiple cakes and you would layer them. So that's why we have the tiered cakes. Why the like why the layers? I'm glad yeah. you asked. So the bride and groom were challenged to kiss over top of the cake layers, and if they could, they would have good fortune. So if your friends were dicks, they would they make would it make very it really tall. tall. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you couldn't reach. Right, exactly. <laughs> so yeah. This evolved during Shakespearean times. The bride's friends would each bring a sweet bun to the wedding. The more buns equals a more popular bride. Okay. All right. (laughs) I liken this to the cookie, the Pittsburgh cookie table that we'll have at my wedding, which came over with either immigrants or as a product of the depression era when cake was like super expensive and it was cheaper to have cookies. Cookies. Huh? Well, I'm really glad you're doing both. Throwing the garter. This came out of a necessity to physically protect the bride from the wedding guests. So bear with me. Who was it, on this guest list? I, I know, right? <laughs> the why, are they have, why are they having weddings at all? So, yeah. 
So it comes from the medieval English tradition of, quote, fingering the stocking. (laughs) Yeah. Horrific. Whatever it means, I don't know. Yeah. Don't like it. The guests would break into the wedding chamber and look for signs that the marriage was consummated. This is after the ceremony, after all this shit. So they're checking to make sure that they're fucking. Furthermore, in medieval France, guests would legit bombard the bride after the ceremony to rip off a piece of her dress because it was considered good luck. So eventually, some traumatized bride decided it was easier to literally throw the garter into the crowd to pacify them. And that's how we got this tradition. Because she was tired of being physically assaulted and Correct. stripped. Is it lucky at like it's gone so far now that like it's part of this ceremony? So is it even yes. lucky yet if they haven't consummated their marriage? I mean, I nowadays mean, they've almost always have. In theory, no. <laughs> Craig and I are consummated. Yeah, <laughs> Craig and I are not doing the garter toss. We have already discussed it. Yeah, I don't like that tradition yeah, personally. It's, it's gross. It's there's weird. not a lot of traditions I do like. Yeah. yeah, same. I was once the uh, in a you know at a wedding and I caught the bouquet. I was like, the, "That's the next one." Yeah, and then the the whoever caught the garter has to put it on on me, and like right. it was just it was very awkward. My family was there. They put on like and I don't know, music like to make kid. it almost like a sexy thing or whatever. Yeah, it's you know? weird. It was weird. Yeah, I didn't like it. So the bouquet toss evolved from the garter tossing tradition and it was for the brides who couldn't remove their garter quickly enough before the crowd descended. <laughs> no. like, throw something, throw anything. Literally, that's literally what it is. So when the bride took over just like tossing the bouquet, the groom inherited tossing the garter and that's what we know today. Then there's cans to the wedding car bumper, like having them drag behind the wedding car. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like yeah. poor bells. Yeah. That comes from the 14th century French tradition of charivari. That's, that's what it was called. Okay. So it's a mock parade and subsequent serenade for the betrothed couple on the night before their wedding. So it's used particularly for couples that the community disapproved of, like widows or widowers <laughs> who were remarrying too soon or a couple with a large oh. age gap. So it was oh. like, we don't approve of this. Like... Bang your pots and pans. It was also used for out-of-town grooms who, quote, stole a local girl from the local boys and therefore had to pay a toll by serving a midnight meal to the community, like as penance for stealing one of their women. Because women are property. Mm -hmm. They used, quote, rough music, which was considered like the banging of pots and pans in the street. So that's rough music. I don't know if I would call that music so much as noise. noise yeah. yeah, well, that's not what it was. Very rough. Is there any rhythm to it? A beat? Nope, just banging. In the U.S., the tradition dates back to pioneer days and is basically a loud, raucous celebration of the bride and groom. So in the, our favorite musical, Oklahoma... I'm shocked how much Oklahoma comes up. <laughs> it's the first <laughs> musical from a thousand years ago. <laughs> Lori and Curly are thrown a shivery uh, b- by a bunch of cowboys the night before their wedding. Today, shiveries have more to do with pranking than anything else, like the groomsmen decorating the wedding car mm-hmm. to punish the groom for stealing the bride away from them. Hashtag patriarchy. Mm. Yes. Let's talk about the aftermath. The gift registry. 
This originated I in... I like that tradition. Yeah, I like it too. <laughs> the gift registry originated in a Marshall Fields store in Chicago in 1924. And it was created for a, the couple to indicate their desired china, silver, and crystal patterns to the wedding guests. And it has evolved over time to include events like baby w- registries and stuff like that. And then this is one of my personal favorites, the honeymoon. There are two theories to this. One comes from the bride napping days, which is the 30 days post-abduction are when the marriage is consummated. And that's when you're traditionally supposed to be producing an heir. So it's mm-hmm. like the... the like sweet spot essentially and then the lunar cycles so the first lunar cycle of your marriage it's traditional since the fifth century to drink mead each day which is a honey wine in norse tradition you select a friend or family member to bring the bride and groom wine each day for 30 days while they are in hiding which is hashtag goals so (laughs) honey wine plus moon cycle equals honey moon isn't that fun Hmm. i had heard some tradition like heard before that it was from some kidnapping type tradition so that's kind of the first one you alluded to Mm -hmm. yeah and not as romantic uh, as it is today yes and that's my segment guys we did it! We did it! <laughs> Champions! Ghost Girls. Ghost Girls! Yep, absolutely. Yep, that's what happened. Do, 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 do. That's it. That's my second. We're going to talk about radium. Which, if you remember from your science classes in your table of I elements, do not. is nope. atomic number 88 and was famously discovered by Marie Curie and her hubby, Pierre, way back in 1898. Pierre, no last name? Curie. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Marie's <Okay>. husband. <laughs> I just thought he was like Cher, like he didn't need a last name. Go ahead. <laughs> He's less important. Okay. We all yeah, know and love Murray. And it's derived from uranium ore, but it is one million times more radioactive than uranium, which we have the privilege of knowing now, but wasn't very well understood back in the early 1900s. Not good. So after radium was discovered, it quickly became popular in commercial products, particularly for like cosmetics, because (laughs) radium is bioluminescent. Gives you that glow. Absolutely. (laughs) I can't think of a worse way to use a radioactive substance (laughs) than to just rub it on your face every day. (laughs) Rub it on your pregnant belly. (laughs) Yeah, so in addition to cosmetics, it was also believed to have curative power. So one of those cure-alls <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> that everybody loves. Everybody loves Perfect. a good cure-all, right? Therapeutic radiation. It Love was it. thought to treat everything from blindness to hysteria and asthma. <laughs> Great. And so you could have it in like drinking solutions, so there oh, were tonics God. or elixirs. I take it back. That's worse than putting it on your face, I think. (laughs) (laughs) You could also, um, they put it in toothpaste to brighten your teeth. 
<laughs> glow in the dark teeth. Like fantastic. They added it to everything from hair creams to chocolate. So basically, like anything that you liked or enjoyed, just like put radium in it and it will be better. Oh my God. Most of these products had like incredibly trace elements of radium. And some of them didn't have radium at all. They were just like riding the popularity, like like the radium wave. Yeah. (laughs) So they would include radium like in their product names. So, for example, there was one called Radium Brand Creamery Butter. So like, there's no radium in this butter, but they're just throwing like radium on the package because people associate it. Because people are dumb. Yeah. They're like, ooh, it's the new craze. Mm -hmm. It's a lot like how we use platinum. To be like, this is a platinum laundry detergent. And you're like, ooh, like it just means that actually like, doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of like the status that radium was taking on. Excellent. Perfect. This was known as radioactive crackery. <laughs> <laughs> and it's based on a pseudoscience that promotes radiation as healthful. So you know, we know, and it was minimally understood by like some parts of the scientific community that you can use radiotherapy to like use radiation to target cancer cells. So you're like destroying bad cells. And this was sort of like misconstrued in like public knowledge as radiation promoting good cells. Mm. Yeah. Um, so they no, were just like, oh, like if you can use ra- like radiation to, you know, cure or like make somebody feel better from cancer, then you must be able to like use it for everything, no matter what. That is not a logical deduction. So <laughs> even though some people knew that it could cause cancer in addition to curing cancer, it was still used commercially because that information was not like widely public knowledge and was still it was still in the early days of radium so it was still being studied and stuff great one of the most common uses of radium was to paint watches in particular the dial so the numbers and like the minute and hour hands so that you could read your watch at night or in the dark and also instrument panels like for the military on airplanes or something like that or in their submarines they would start painting there that seems a little more necessary than like oh i want to know what time it is time to go to bed if you can't see your watch so in the early 1900s there were three companies that painted watches with radium that's the u.s radium corporation in new jersey the radium dial company in illinois and the waterbury clock company in connecticut And these all were established in, like, 1917 through, like, the 1920s that they were founded and operated. Working as a dial painter was a very glamorous job for a lot of girls. Uh, For one thing, in these towns, it was often one of the only jobs that were available for women. And it was one of the supposedly safer jobs that a woman could have. So it was very respectable. And you were kind of like, you were, you were a popular girl if you worked at the dial painting factory. For the girls, it was like cleaner than working in like most other factories. The pay was pretty good. So they were typically expected to paint about 250 dials a day. 
for a penny and a half per dial. So this was like commission, not salary. So they got paid based on how like efficiently they could paint these watches. And so if you math it out in modern dimes, that comes out to about like a little over $9 an hour that they would have made if they had, if they painted 250 dials. So that's like a little bit higher than minimum wage. It's not bad. And so, you know, you could recognize a radium girl by like all of her, the fancy clothes. They would always buy like new shoes and hats and things like that with their dial painting money. In some cases, though, some of the women were like older siblings. And so this was just like their income to support their family. Like all the money went straight to their like six younger brothers and sisters. Gross. But if you're well off, you only dial painted until you got married because then you didn't need a job anymore when you have a man. Of course not. Because then you can wear your giant <laughs> veil to work <laughs> just to be like, bye, bitches. <laughs> So a lot of these girls were young, like they were like late teens, early 20s, and they just worked for a few years until they got married. Goals. It's the new bartender. And by that, I mean (laughs) the old bartender. (laughs) Bartending's the new radium dial painting. Yes. Yes. (laughs) One of the companies, the New Jersey company, they didn't just paint the watches. They also produced their own paint. So like they kind of had a little monopoly. Like the whole production process down. Sure. They had all the verticals. The paint is called Undark. <laughs> <laughs> Some drunk frat boy thought of that. It's quite literal. Yeah. It's the Undark, bro. <laughs> In the facilities, the facility owners would make it a point to avoid the factory floors. And the scientists working with the radium and like making the paint would use lead screens to wear masks and handle the products with tongs. The dial painters, no PPE. No, because they're women. Mm-hmm. Why would they need it? So, you know, the painters, you show up in your, your nice dress and you set, you all have a desk and you actually mix your own paint. So they kind of give you like the radium powder and like a little crucible and you like, you mix the paint yourself at your desk and The brushes are camel hair brushes with like 11 or 12 hairs on them. Like they're fine. Very, very, very fine little paint Mm -hmm. brushes. You're just painting these tiny little numbers. So supervisors encourage the girls to use a technique called lip pointing or lip dip Mm. paint. So uh, because the hair, the hairbrush, because the like paintbrush would fray easily. Mm hmm. They would put the tip of the brush in their mouth and like twirl it to, to twirl the brush into like a fine tip. Mm-hmm. And then they would dip it in the crucible and then they would paint their numbers and then they would put the brush back in their mouth and dip it back in the radium paint. 250 then- times a day. Yep. At minimum. So if you were really good, you didn't have to lip point that much but some of the girls were known to lip and dip between every number so well you're doing it marjorie (laughs) multiple times per dial excellent if you were better at painting the numbers you wouldn't have had so much radium in your system like be better the radium girls as sort of like a perk or privilege of working in the factories would paint their nails uh, no. Their teeth, 
and no. their faces using no. it like makeup. No. No, don't do that. They would also paint like the buttons on their dresses or like, Great, like accents on their clothes and stuff so that when they went out, you know, on their dates or like out dancing or something at night, they glowed. Ah, uh, so people would know they were yeah. medium girls. Yeah. As you can imagine, many of the women later began to suffer from anemia, bone fractures, and necrosis of the jaw. Wait, what? Shocking. I did not see that coming. One of the things that we know now about radium is that the body treats radium the same way it handles calcium. So your body, when it ingests radium, it deposits the radium into your bones like as if it were calcium. But the difference is but that it's radium not is not calcium. calcium. <laughs> and so its radioactivity inside your body will begin to degrade or mutate your bone cells or tissues. So that's Ooh. why they would have like bone fractures in a process of the jaw. So okay, like their bones would start to disintegrate essentially. Yeah, that's no mm-hmm. bueno. And obviously their jaws were most commonly affected because... Putting it in their mouth. Yeah, they're putting yeah. the product in their mouth. So yeah, not knowing sure. what like what was causing these issues they were having, they assumed it were just like general dental problems and they would go to a dentist. I mean they also are putting it on their teeth. Yeah, like they're painting their teeth. If they think they're having dental problems, maybe they would you'd think they might connect the dots like Well, they probably are having dental problems in addition to other problems. That's true. <laughs> yeah, it's probably just not isolated. <sighs> okay. It did take a while. They did eventually make that connection, but it took a while in part because this was actually years after the woman worked there. So sure. the dentists were seeing all yeah, of these patients, mm-hmm, these mm-hmm. women in their neighborhoods or their communities. Mm-hmm. And it was at first believed to be some sort of just like community viral infection or something. Yeah. Because at this point they were not working because they were home and married or some of them had just gone to different jobs like being a secretary or mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. Being, you know, one of the like beauty counter girls at the department mm-hmm. store or something like right. that. Right. So the connection um, so is not So at this point in time when all of the effects of radium are starting to like exhibit in these girls and they're starting to like go to dentists or doctors, they're not putting together like, where did you work five years ago? They're just like, well, where do you work right. now? And right. it's like they don't have anything in common. But mm-hmm. eventually they start to make the connections. Armed with this information, they're like ready to go to these factories and companies to like seek damages but there's no such thing as occupational diseases in women's work no no <laughs> women's work is harmless You're if it were harmful to have work. they wouldn't yeah. give them to the woman exactly. men would right. do it right so it was very difficult for them to like pursue any financial compensation for for the damages that they suffered from radium exposure Right. So we'll start with the factory in Connecticut and how they handle the situation. They kind of tried to get ahead of the, the whole thing when they were starting to find out that women were getting sick by hiring a company physician. So they hired Dr. Frederick Flynn to basically be like the on-site company doctor. He would take blood, read x-rays, and like order all sorts of medical treatment for the girls. 
But, you know, ultimately he worked for the company and not for the girls. So he wouldn't tell them what the results of their exams were. And despite signs of poisoning, he would tell every girl that they were perfectly healthy. Okay. Okay. Well, you're also a doctor, sir. Like, first do no harm. He even went on to publish an article in 1926 in a medical journal concluding, quote, an industrial hazard does not exist in the painting of luminous dials. Oh, fuck you. However, obviously, girls were getting sick and they were showing up like, what's going on? I don't feel well. I'm starting to get concerned. I'm hearing these rumors about radium. And he would feign concern and kind of pretend like that he was on their side. Like, I'm so sorry. Like, you must. I can't imagine how you feel. I think it would be in your best interest to accept a settlement from the company. So instead of suing and going to court and everything like that. So just take the settlement. It like frees the company from any further liability. So like it's not an admission of guilt. It's just like a we're sorry for your trouble type situation. Probably a less publicized thing. Exactly. Yeah. Like it's kind of swept under the rug. Yeah. People don't know about it. And so, you know, these are young girls. And they're probably not very sophisticated. They don't have lawyers or anything like that. So they're just like, okay. And so they, they take the money and, you know, they never pursue any legal recourse. So ultimately, Waterbury Clock Company paid $90,000, which is a little over a million dollars today, in a settlement, okay. in settlement money to support the medical costs of up to 16 radium girls. This was not evenly distributed. That's nothing. Yeah. Yeah. So one family received as little as $43.75. For your cancer. (laughs) Amounted to less than $1,000 in today's money. For your cancer. Yeah. And I'm sure medical costs weren't as big then as they are now, but still $1,000. That's still not not acceptable. That's still not acceptable. Yeah. And as you mentioned, Steph, one of the downfalls to a settlement, in addition to the fact that they got a really shitty settlement, is that it's not public. So this makes it really difficult for other women who in the other factories to file suit because there's no legal precedent by right. the Waterbury Also, girls. they so, may not even know about it. Yeah. Like, how would you know? You can't just Google, like, has this happened to someone else, yeah. you know? Right, or if it was in the news, like, you know, right. this company right. is being sued because radium caused this problem and the girls being like, oh my God, yeah. I'm having these problems too. Like, I didn't even think that this could be related. Yeah. Why would it be in the news? These are just young women. Like, right. nobody gives a fuck. If anything, it's, you know, local man loses investment in young booty. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's essentially the coverage. Well, we will get to the coverage a little bit. Okay, great. But we'll move on to the other companies in New Jersey and Illinois. So they would also go on to reject any claims that the workers were suffering from exposure to radium. Even though they they knew that this was what was happening, they were just denying it publicly and to the girls. So the companies even went so far as to urge medical professionals to, like, alter the woman's cause of death. Jeez. One very famous totally example up and up. <laughs> is Molly Magia or Molly Magia. I don't know, but Molly. Okay. So she went to the dentist in 1922 for a toothache. Sure. And she returned many times to get teeth pulled. And sometimes the dentist would pull a tooth and just parts of her jar would come with it. Oh, 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 oh. oh. 
because she had necrosis of the jaw and so like no. I said it disintegrates the bone so they call it like honeycombing so like your oh. your bones like honeycomb she wasn't the only one to have to have oh. like parts of her jaw removed they often could do it with their hands and not have to use tools because they're oh, god, so no. degraded mm. god I'm so uncomfortable right now Steph hates teeth things she also developed tumors in the neck and face and of course she, did. she was dead within eight months of her first appointment with the dentist Jeez. So very rapid uh, yeah. decline. Oh my God. Molly happened to be a single woman living on her own and with no evidence whatsoever about her sexual activity, her recorded cause of death was syphilis. What? That's what I immediately assume when a young single woman dies. It's like, oh, the syphilis got her again. It Damn has it. only like minimal overlapping symptoms, in particular things like boils and stuff. That but I mean, like, it can often be around, like, cause you to lose all of your teeth and jaw and chunks and tumors in your neck. Well, they didn't know what else it could be because radium poisoning was not like an established, yeah. Like, I mean, sure, but don't just anything. pick some random thing out of a hat. Well, I mean, I think we, they don't have a great track record of being responsible here. Yeah. So, I, I mean, mean I consider feel like what we're dealing with. Safer to say, just like unknown cancer instead of just randomly picking syphilis i don't think they could have said it was cancer either i don't know at the time <laughs> mistakes were made syphilis was very like pu- not public but like a lot of people had it <laughs> and <laughs> oh, <laughs> it was my. popular it was trending <laughs> yeah. it was trending it, it went, went viral, viral. <laughs> <laughs> Ching. It's not a and virus. so it wasn't like <laughs> It wasn't like it was totally out of like rea- like anything being realistic there. Like maybe syphilis wouldn't be common diagnosis now, but back in the day, if you put like they died of syphilis, it was like, oh, lost another one. Syphilis. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Pour one out for your homie. <laughs> so it was often cited oh. um, in attempts to cover up any potential radium poisoning and also to smear the reputations of the women and discredit their claim. Of course. Mm. Because why would you believe a woman? You wouldn't. Aren't you guys glad that we're past that as a society and we Mm -hmm. believe it when women tell us their symptoms and their stories? Yep. Everything's fixed. Yep. Speaking of cover-ups, the New Jersey company also at one point had hired a professional to assess the lab and then found that the results were unfavorable so they altered the report and submitted it to the new jersey labor department and like falsely wrote in the altered report that all the girls were perfectly healthy and the original author found out like that's not what i wrote in the report and there was a little bit of a battle between him and the company but he eventually went ahead and published the report on his own to a journal Mm outside of like the company's control good for him because he was like we need to hold them accountable good he should nobody reads those journals apparently and it basically went unnoticed excellent yeah great i'm glad justice is prevailing Mm -hmm. after years of illness five women in new jersey decide to sue the company do it It took them two years to find a lawyer that would take on the case because this is like a huge a huge company 
And these are just like small town girls that don't have money for a decent lawyer. And nobody wants to take on these companies, especially when they're like being contracted to paint dials for the military. Like they're, you know, suing somebody that's doing like, you know, their patriotic, yeah, their patriotic duties. Mm -hmm. So it took them two years to find a lawyer. And then even when they did, the case moved so slowly that by the time they went to court in 1928, Two of the women were bedridden, and none of them had the strength to raise their arms to take an oath. Jesus. Shortly after starting, part of the trial was delayed for months because the wealthy witnesses, like the scientific experts and, you know, the presidents of the companies, had to uh, go on their summer vacations in Europe, so... Oh, yeah. obviously. Oh, well, yeah. yeah. No, so that they makes had sense. To postpone the court case. Meanwhile, the girls are fucking It's not dying. like these women are dying. Yeah. It's fine. But we'll just take a few months. We've it's got fine. all the time in the world here. <sighs> so the this trial was meant to take place in two parts. So there was the issue of the statute of limitations. So first they had to determine like can this case even be tried because it's been more than 2 years since any of these women worked for the company. And then after that, if they make the determination that they can proceed, that's when then they would debate whether or not the company was at fault for mm-hmm. their illnesses. So the company first essentially took the approach of like, yeah, sorry, they got radium poisoning, but they can't like sue us two years later. Or like at this point, it's like five years later. They're like, the statute of limitations have passed. We cannot be held responsible. They should have come out sooner. They tried. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. They tried. You ran out and the clock. And they were lied to. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, exactly. They ran out the clock. So they were just like trying to pin it on the woman that like they should have spoken up sooner, like as soon as they like. You're the assholes who went on your summer vacation. Yeah. I'm super glad this never happens with rape stories this in this mm-hmm. day and age. But then, like, on the flip side is that if it turned out that the case would proceed, they were going to argue that they weren't responsible. They would question the experts. So the company would ask the, like, physicians and, you know, people that had examined the woman and had been investigating, like, this new thing called radium poisoning. They would, like, have you ever had any experience with radium poisoning before? And then they'd be like, well, no. And the, and the company would be like, aha, like, they don't even have radium experts. And it's like, there are no such thing. Yeah. Like, this is new. Nobody's ever been poisoned before because up until you guys, nobody was making girls put radium in their mouths. Yeah. Yes. So <laughs> it's a brand new phenomenon. The company also brought in Dr. Flynn. So you might remember him from the Connecticut company. He was the, like, on-site physician for the mm-hmm. Connecticut factory. Mm-hmm. And so the company brought in Dr. Flynn because he was like, you know, known to be a radium and workplace like expert to assess the women. But Flynn had tampered with the radioactivity readings by holding the equipment a few feet away from the woman. So the equipment that they had to read radioactivity, you would basically hold it right over their chest to get a reading from like their bones, essentially. And you would also mm-hmm. hold it in front of their mouth and have them like breathe and get a reading there. But he would like stand like yards away and hold the device and then be like, there's no radium. 
<laughs> so the girl's lawyer was a little suspicious of Dr. Flynn. So he dug around and guess what he found? OMG, what did he find? Hashtag not a doctor. Oh, oh no. <laughs> he did not take the oath. No. He was a doctor in a different sense. He does have a PhD, but it's mm. in physiology. So he was not licensed to practice medicine. He was just a toxicologist on the payroll of US Radium. <sighs> Scandalous. Yeah. I can't. So girls would go to him. So like back in Connecticut, the girls that would go for their exams believed that they were being seen by a doctor. He would write up like their treatments for them on College of Physicians and Surgeons letterhead. And he always had a quote colleague with him, which they presumed to also be another doctor. So they thought they were being seen by a team of doctor. But it was really just this toxicologist and the company's vice president. But it was really just three children in, in a, a trench coat. Trench coat. <laughs> <laughs> Flynn Perfect. would later tell the press that the women's problems were caused by nerves. Oh, she's hysterical. Yeah. Obviously. This was the new trend that replaced hysteria. So hysteria wasn't the thing anymore. It was nerves. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. He also would later blame their improper diet for their body's tendency to store radium in the bones. So, Too many Skittles, Karen. Yeah. So, like, yeah, radium's not good for you, but if they ate their better, diet, it consists been of radium. Yeah, Literally just radium. <laughs> oh, I also forgot to mention that they took their lunch breaks at their desks. Of course they did. With their presumably unwashed hands. Just Can't their radium. Blame their diet hands. when their diet is fucking radium. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So, the girl's lawyer also arranged to exhume the body of Molly. Sure. It's been five years since she was buried, and when they raise her casket, the casket is glowing. Oh. Yeah. That's not good. That's normal. Just from the radiation that her body has been emitting as it decayed. Excellent. And so when they opened the casket, she was also glowing. Yeah. Doing wonders for the environment, too. Mm -hmm. And so this is where kind of the phrase ghost girls came to be known. Those that were also still living were so thin. And like in the trial, some of these women weighed as little as 70 pounds, like adult women, like early 20. Yeah, actually, that's they were early 20s when they were working there. So at this point, they're like, you know, almost 30 mid to late 20s. Yeah, Yeah, sure. They weigh as little as 70 pounds. And so they're basically like skin and bones. And like in the dark, you can like see the faint glow of their bones through their body. Oh, my God. This is gross. Yeah. Like gross that they allow, not that they are gross, but like it's making gross me think of they, like yeah. those Halloween costumes where it's like a black body the suit black with like bones yes. and the glow in mm-hmm. the dark skeleton. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So the judge had his senses about him, apparently, which is good. So he concluded that because the radium was continuing to hurt them after all these years, they were being injured again every day. Mm-hmm. And the statute of statute limitations renews with each injury. So they can't uh-huh. say like, you know, oh, like the your opportunity to claim injury stopped when you stopped ingesting the radium. No, the radium is hurting you every single day. Yeah, it's like an active so, assault. Yeah. Yeah. Ongoing. 
Yes. You know, and it lies dormant. So it was like years before it even showed up. So like every time that you have a quote like injury, like you lose a tooth or you discover mm-hmm. a new tumor, those all give you like another two years to that resets the clock. Yeah. Sure. So that was a pretty significant victory for the girls. But they ended up settling out of court because when, you know, the company found out about this decision that now they had to like go and sort of actually be held accountable. Yeah. Yeah. They were like, well, we might not be as lucky as we thought. So we're going to make these girls an offer and settle out of court. So each radium girl was given $10,000, which is equivalent to $150,000 today. Good. As a lump sum. And then also an additional 600 per year for the rest of their lives. And that's so about $9,000 per year. $600 per year? Equivalent to 9000 Okay, 9,000. All right. So, what about the girls who had already passed as a result of radium? Are their families getting like the lump sum or? No. So, they're not in the suit. Okay. So, I think there there were some other like one offs where families settled. Okay. Like individual families after their children had passed had filed suit. Some of them settled. Some of them just like, okay, didn't get anything because they. They weren't aware of these like other cases that were going on and didn't really have sure like a leg to stand on or anything. So it was just these girls, like these five girls involved in the suit. Okay. So yeah, in addition to the lump sum, the annual payments, they also would have all of their medical and legal expenses paid by the company. Sadly, all five had died within five years of settling. So they were not very long lives. Now, jumping over to Illinois, many of the girls there are also obviously showing signs of radium poisoning. And they were initially unaware of the hearings and trials that were happening in New Jersey. Mm -hmm. But the company in Illinois, just kind of like out of curiosity, because the higher up that they know things, but just like these little girls that work on the factory floor, like they don't know what's going on. So the company mm-hmm. decides that they do want to like investigate what's going on with radium. Mm-hmm. And they did the same thing that the others did. They like had the girls examined and told them that they had a clean bill of health. Some of the girls that like knew they were ill would beg to see the doctor and they would be denied. So the company was basically like cherry picking which girls they would examine. And so like girls that were obviously very sick, they were like we don't want like we don't want her radium results in our records Mm -hmm. and so they would just sort of examine like women who appeared to be healthier and so meanwhile there's these girls that are really ill and they're like being denied access to the doctor because they just don't want to examine them and and be like you're perfectly fine when they like they're limping they don't want to put that on their record yeah Yeah. they're like losing teeth yeah. Right. So finally, you're too sick to see the doctor. Word about the New Jersey cases did come up in like local newspapers. And so the girls started asking around and they went to the company and the company was like, no, no, no. Like because they settled out of court, like and the company was never found guilty of radium poisoning. They couldn't like say that radium poisoning was what caused the girls illnesses. So they were like, no, that was just like a viral infection that was happening around town. Radium's fine. And so they were like, okay. But one girl, Meg Looney, she was treated by the company doctor and she fell very, very ill and was even brought to the company doctor's hospital where she later passed away. 
Her family were prohibited from seeing her while she was a patient. And when she died, company men tried to come in the middle of the night to take her body and bury her. The fuck? Because they didn't want the family ordering an autopsy. Of course not. It was all the way to the fucking top. Yeah. So the family, though, like, realized what was happening. They put a stop to it. They made the company agree to do, like, a joint autopsy. So, like, company doctor and a doctor of our choosing. And they agreed to meet, like, 8 a.m. the next morning. And when the family doctor showed up, the company doctor had already concluded with the autopsy. Like, they just went early and did it. He got there early and did it. Yeah. And so then the body was, like, kind of tampered with. And so the family doctor was unable to do an autopsy. So, yeah, they're just, like, doing all sorts of sketchy shit. Blatantly sketchy. However, enough women start to fall ill that they're just, like, this is clearly radium poisoning. Fuck what the company is saying. We're going to yeah. move forward with a suit. So this is now in the 1930s. So this is like one of the last group of dial painters to step up and take action. They go before the Illinois Industrial Commission. Again, it's five women. And they found an attorney that represented them. And the Illinois Industrial Commission ruled in favor of the women. Radium dial, so the Illinois company was really cranky pants about it, and they didn't want to pay up. So they appealed over and over again, eventually taking the case all the way to the Supreme Court because they were so stubborn about like being found guilty and having to pay. But on October 1939, the Supreme Court decided not to hear the appeal and upheld the lower court's ruling. So just like, nope, this is the final say, like. You're guilty. You have to pay up. So in the end, the case had been won eight times. So they had to like try this case eight times and win every single time before Radium Dial was finally forced to actually pay. That's absurd. Yeah. Yeah. Like imagine if they did it seven times and the eighth time they were like, no, you're not responsible. Like it's still seven out of eight people, like seven out of eight trials said you're responsible. Like that shouldn't be. Seven out of eight courts. Whatever. Yeah. 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 It's fucked up if that were the case. So in all, we don't know exactly how many women across, you know, all of these companies had been adversely affected by Too many. radium. Yeah. Uh, obviously, a lot of them might not have ever associated their conditions with their, you know, prior employment or the doctors that they were seeing might not have ever made the connections. So there are very likely like many, many undiagnosed cases from that time. Uh, But we do know that an estimated 4,000 women worked for these corporations. Despite all of the hardships that the women at these three different factories went to, at least they had like a legacy that they left behind. So because of the lawsuits and especially with the like successful results of the last one, because it wasn't a settlement, it was like a guilty finding. It really changed the impact of like industrial diseases and workers comp especially for women. So after the case, dial painters were instructed in proper safety precautions and they were provided protective gear. PPE. Yep. Mm -hmm. And so radium was continued to be used through the 1960s, but there were no further injuries to dial painters. So this highlighted both the fact that like radium is what caused their illnesses but that also very simple safety practices could have avoided the entire thing yeah gee i wonder if that's applicable to anything happening today 
Hmm. The lawsuit helped improve occupational disease labor laws. So it kind of now set the precedent where other people could sue and that, you know, certain types of illnesses were like latent or dormant. And so you could like be flexible with the statute of limitations, depending on the nature of the illness. Uh There was also in the 1960s, the Center for Human Radiobiology was established. And this was essentially established for the sole purpose of examining other living dial painters in order to Uh understand radium poisoning better. So they examined more than 2,000 women and they've helped determine what levels of radium exposure are acceptable before causing harm. Spoilers, it's none. There's really no level. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they were able to identify a bunch of the uh, women who have worked for dial painting companies, and they have basically like contributed their bodies to science in order to help other women overcome occupational diseases and quackery in patriarchal workplaces. Yay! All right, guys. Welcome back to Crazy Cult Corner. Oh, I didn't know we named it, but that's exciting. Well, now we did. (laughs) Okay. Today, I'm going to tell you about Eligio Bishop, a.k.a. Nature Boy. Oh. And his cult, Melanation, a.k.a. Carbon Nation. Okay. I have no idea what you just said, but go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Melanation or carbonation. Okay. Not carbonation, like, you know, carbonated soda. Carbon space nation. Okay. So first, I'm just going to quickly cover the cult's beliefs and practices, but then we're going to move on to the fun stuff, which is the story of the founder and the history of the cult, because it's absurd. Okay, great. It's going to... We're going to have to... Get into the way, way back machine right now. So hop on in, strap in as we go back all the way back to 2016. I was going to say, I hope you say 2018. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> oh, back before Trump ruined everything. This is great. Yeah. Okay. Oh, better times. When we had a society. Awesome. Mm-hmm. When you could go outside of your house. Hmm. So the basic beliefs. So Eligio Bishop, Nature Boy. Preaches and recruits people through Facebook and YouTube, mostly. He's got a very large online presence. Mm -hmm. He preaches that the sun manifested on Earth to create black women. Oh. He tells his followers not to trust their senses. He believes that all people share a common consciousness and identity. There's nothing unique or individual about any of us. Yeah, we all have like a, a consciousness together that we all share like we're all part of the same energy i guess or something okay we're all connected in our consciousness or something i don't know i read one source that he preaches that said that he preaches black supremacy which is kind of a nice change of pace huh yeah okay he also preaches nudism yes polygamy of course refraining from bathing so i don't like that one no thank you no you're naked and dirty yeah no thank you consuming a a vegan diet no thank you and defecating at the base of trees was listed as a core Mm. belief in multiple sources oh (laughs) okay (laughs) very specific yes right it's in their bible obviously (laughs) overall the cult is about like connecting with nature and living a kind of more natural lifestyle which is kind of like juxtaposed with his recruiting on the internet. 
mm-hmm. but that's that's kind okay. of what he wants is to be more in tune with nature. Okay. In typical cult fashion, members are required to give up all of their money, give him their credit card numbers, bank account numbers, pins, etc. He also makes money for the cult by making online music videos, online life coaching videos, and requesting donations. His tagline is "Don't hate, donate." Can that be our new tagline? <laughs> what's the um, what's that name called for a charity? Like a the legal uh, like tax class Non-profit for a charity? Or? Yeah, I don't think so. No, Eligio Bishop. Let's talk about him now. Okay. He used to be a model, a stripper, a sex worker, and a barber. Sure. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. He lived in New Jersey for a while and in Atlanta. He has a bit of a criminal record. Don't we all? <laughs> in 2009, he was arrested for forced entry in Georgia. And in 2011, he was arrested for aggravated battery, and he was also charged with theft. So after these episodes, he decided he wanted to clean up his act. So he went to school to become a barber. He opened a salon in 2014. He also claims that he worked for the Monique show around this time. I'm not sure doing what. Like, I don't know if he did their hair or something. So he was a barber. No further details, but he claims huh, to have worked okay. for Monique. Okay. And then in 2016, he just, one day, he just posted on Facebook that he was going to Honduras and he wrote, quote, the ascension journey has begun. All right. Ascend. Oh boy. At this point, he's in his 30s. Oh boy. He said that his followers should let him be their guide out of the hell realm. Are we living in the hell realm? Apparently. Oh, okay. Nowadays, as of 2017 anyway, he had 42,000 followers on Facebook and YouTube. Nowadays, it is now. Yeah, I mean, yeah. was well, it, it might have been even more now, but he had 42,000 yeah. as of three years ago following him on Facebook and YouTube and his social media presence as he goes on this ascension journey. Sure. So he was then, he was 34 at the time that this all started and he found his way somehow, I guess he went to Honduras first for this ascension journey, somehow made his way to Costa Rica. And that's where he started referring to himself as Nature Boy. And he started gathering followers. And he called his group, his cult, Melanation. I'm still not seeing the connection, but... <laughs> they were like physical followers, like followers that went and joined him there or just like supported him remotely? Both. Most okay. of them were remotely, but he did have people actually coming to meet him and stay with him in Costa Rica. Okay. Those was like, I guess, the more core people. It was a smaller group, but he did. Yeah, obviously, it wasn't 42,000 people yeah. following him. Literally following him. So. They were doing their thing in Costa Rica, shitting under trees, eating vegan. Gross. All, all those things are gross. Yes. And, I mean, he was known to his followers, but he wasn't really super known in the public eye. He okay. came into public view in 2017. So there was a girl in Canada named Kaya Reed who went missing. Okay. She was 21 years old. She went missing on March 3rd, 2017. And she had last contacted her family about 10 days prior. Reed's mother discovered that she was with Bishop in Costa Rica because she saw a video of Kaya in Costa Rica with him. Okay. And now she was going by the name Sunray. Sure. In this video, 
Bishop was like standing next to her talking about her. And he was talking about how the sun manifested itself onto earth to create black women, AKA the archetype. And he said that some people have strayed from the original path. What path? I don't know, but people Wait, have strayed. Are, from are the we path. all supposed to be with black women? Well, yes. If you're not black, black woman, you have strayed then from the path. Strayed. Oh, yes. okay. So mutations have occurred in people's quote unquote hardware. Oh. Such as Kaya, who is white. Well, we haven't strayed. People strayed a long time ago. Right. Wow. And we are a product of people straying from the path. And we are sure. a mutation in the hardware of humanity. And that is why oh we my. are white. Oh. Yes. So Kaya's mother, somehow someone finds this video and shows it to her and she's like, fuck, my daughter is in Costa Rica with this crazy man and calling herself yeah. Sunray. And she's, yeah, Sunray. <laughs> and she's basically claiming that Bishop brainwashed her daughter. She says that, you know, Kaya has a history of some mental illness and she's very vulnerable to that kind of a thing. So, like, they drop the missing person cases, like, okay, she's an adult, she's gone to Costa Rica of her own volition. Yeah, know. she's just making a bad decision. Yeah. Right, but we can't legally, like, do anything to sure. force her to come back. Sure, sure, sure. But it is, like, in the news up there, people are, you know, starting to learn about Bishop and Melanation and everything. Nature okay. Boy. So, it's causing quite a hubbub. Kaya posts a Facebook video live stream to kind of respond to the public outrage. She refers to her hometown as Babylon. She refers to herself in the third person as the one. Okay, well, that's the worst part of this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and she calls her family, like her blood family, demons, and oh. says that her, who she's living with now in Costa Rica, the cult, they're her true family. She says okay. she's living an all-natural lifestyle, cleansing herself of toxins that she contracted while she was back in her hometown in Babylon. And she claims that once she is fully healed from these toxins, she will stop aging. Oh, mm -hmm. nice. Wouldn't that be nice? This is a side note. Mm -hmm. Can I tell you, Maria and I watched a, we watched like seven and a half hours of that new cult documentary. It's like cults and extreme beliefs. And one of the cults was like, oh, well, you're never going to die. And then some girl died of cancer because they were praying <laughs> it away. Mm -hmm. And they were like, oh, well, she wasn't a true believer, obviously. And they're like, oh, oh yeah. that that makes sense. That's why that's why this, you know, 14 year old girl died. Right, that makes yeah. so much sense. Making okay. excuses to, to like, instead harder. of like, yeah, exactly. instead of like questioning their core beliefs, they just like dig right. in and make excuses or whatever. Yeah, yeah, it was super intense. Anyway, mm -hmm. continue. She also said in her video that her demon family is not welcome to visit her in Costa Rica. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. <laughs> she doesn't want them to come and see her. So this sparks mm -hmm. an interviewer from CBC to talk to Bishop. And he tells the interviewer that Kaya was there of her own volition. Like he encouraged her to reach out to her family to let her know that she was okay. He like, he didn't, tell her to come down to Costa Rica. He didn't brainwash her. He didn't like force anything upon her. Like she's here because she wants to be here and she's part of the family. Mm -hmm. Kaya did later after this interview, call her family because nature boy encouraged her to do so. But they said that they could hear nature boy, like in the background, essentially telling mm -hmm. her what to say. Coaching. And her. she yeah. said that she wasn't coming home. Yeah. And the interviewer said to Bishop nature boy, like, oh, people think that you're leading a cult. Like, what do you think about this? And he said, I am a cult. So he pretty much admitted it. But he also ah. said that 
That's not he where thinks, I thought that was going. Yeah. He's like, no, I'm a cult. But he also okay, said, great. you know, the USA, Canada, CBC, large corporations, they're all cults. So maybe he just doesn't understand like what Yeah, a cult I feel like is. he just like doesn't get what the impact of that means is. Yeah. Or he just thinks that he's he's belittling the definition of cult or something, you know, as like anyone with power or something. Yeah, that's not what that means. He said, quote, I am the cult leader to them, to whoever watches that doesn't know who they are or what they are or what one is, for I am them. Don't, I don't. Mm, okay. Of yeah. I don't, that doesn't compute in my brain. I don't know what the fuck he's trying to say. That's exactly correct. Do not question him. <laughs> Says, quote, they are not conscious. One is not conscious of the fact that I am them. So in their unconsciousness, they see Nature Boy and separate me from them. And this is how you know these are demons, or one's lower self, because I am the only thing in existence. I feel like he's just, like, psychotic rambling at this point. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Like, he's saying things that are just meant to sound powerful, but it's just nonsense. He's just using, like, buzzwards in a non-sequential, like... Okay. It has no meaning. Like, it means nothing. It's just nonsense that's like when you hear like motivational speakers they're like reach your full potential like yeah. maximize your abilities like just you are capable nice buzzwords in them yeah Ex- that's exactly what it is yeah. but after the interview with cbc he gives kaya a plane ticket to florida the like the next day where someone from her family picks her up because I guess she was more trouble than she's worth because she's causing all this like public mm-hmm. hubbub. <laughs> Return to sender. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Return 100%. to sender. This is not what I ordered. Yeah. This is not. Product oh, malfunction. Can I have it in another color? Yes. <laughs> another size, another color. Exactly. Exchange, so, please. Yeah. So before she left, she and him did a video together that I watched. And she pretty much says that like she's leaving voluntarily because. She doesn't want, you know, the problems with her demon family to cause issues for the Costa Rica family. Like, she doesn't want, you know, to make them alienated or get them in any kind of legal trouble or whatever. Mm -hmm. So she's like, for the good of the family, the Costa Rica family, like, I am going to leave. But she had hopes that she would eventually be able to come back. Okay. She also claims that like her demon family has been possessive over her, that she's like always wanted to leave Canada for at least for years. She's had plans to leave Canada one day, but mm-hmm. like when she expressed that to them, they just like made her go see a psychiatrist and put her on pills and she's like they don't care about me, they're just possessive of me, etc. So she leaves, but that's the first time the public becomes largely aware of Nature Boy and his cult. So that was like in March of 2017. So skipping ahead to October, they're still in Costa Rica and members of the cult are all together, like they're driving somewhere on a bus and they get pulled over for a traffic violation at a checkpoint. The license plate and like all the paperwork for the vehicle has expired. And so the vehicle is like impounded. And while they were, you know, talking to the people, questioning them, asking for their papers and such, the police found that six people in this group had expired passports. Multiple members had like long overstayed their visas, like in Costa Rica, you need a visa if you stay longer than 90 days. Sure. So 11 people get detained for deportation, including Nature Boy. They're going to be deported to Miami, Florida. I guess most of them, if not all of them, are from the United States originally. The actual hell level. Yes, the hell realm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
and they get onto a plane with Spirit Airlines to get to fly to Miami, but they are forced to deplane and not allowed to fly because of, quote, overwhelming body odor. <laughs> yes. I almost said that before you got there. I was like, please, please I, tell me they smelled. Yes. I want that to be listed on their... Th- Spirit oh my Airlines, God. the budget oh, airlines would that's not, not take them from Costa Rica to Florida because they're like, you are too stinky to smell for this long. Like, Oh, no. Uh-uh. Nope. We won't do it. So Bishop posts like an angry Facebook rant uh, video. He's saying that like, we've been living clean lives in the jungle and we haven't been eating any smelly food recently. Like this that's is outrageous. That's not how it works. It's yeah, not that's... about food. <laughs> I mean, I guess if you were eating a lot of garlic or something and farty, but it's not your, that's not what we're talking but about. That, like, yeah, you no, that's not... we are not, we are well beyond that. Yeah. Wash your pits and put on some deodorant. Like you yeah. stink. Yeah. Living out in nature is not a reason to think you would not smell bad. Like, right. The opposite. So then American Airlines flies them out instead because American Airlines is the worst and they have no standards, apparently. I was going to say, have some dignity, American Airlines. American Airlines is my least favorite. Like, I've had so many bad experiences oh. with them. They're the ones that made me stranded overnight in Charlotte. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. They are, they've lost my luck. They're the worst. I hate them. I just can't do spirit anymore. I've never done Spirit, actually. Me so many I did. Times. I've done Frontier, but never they Spirit. They do a route from D.C. to Boston, so I used mm. to be like, I'm going to be super cheap when I go home, and I can't yeah. do it anymore. But I feel like once yeah. you add in like, your luggage and food and whatever. Well, yeah. Like, yeah. So anyway, so they get back to Florida. Bishop posts a video about their intentions to go to Jamaica, where he hopes he'll find a more receptive audience to his way of life, that people will be more accepting of them. But I mean, it's not, it's not about your way of life. It's about your lack of visa and paperwork. Like, no one says you can't be stinky and live <laughs> in the woods. Like, that's not the problem. The yeah. problem is you need to have the paperwork. Yeah, we have larger issues yeah. with you. We have like, laws and you broke the laws. Like, yeah. just get your visa and then go live in the woods in your filth. Like, it's fine. Yeah. Keep your filth to yourself. Exactly. So, skipping ahead to early December 2019. This is the next time we get a new word of what's going on with Nature Boy. So I don't know if he ever made it to Jamaica or not. I couldn't find any information about that. 2019, we find him in Panama. How and when he got there is unclear, but that's where he is now. Supposedly, at some point between October and December of 2019, he was tossed out of Nicaragua. And now he's in Panama. For smelling. Why was he tossed out of Nicaragua? Because he smelled bad? Yeah. I mean, it's probably, again, like, visas and paperwork and shit. Mm. Yeah. Overstaying is welcome. Sure. At this point, he has changed his cult's name to Carbon Nation, and he has changed his own name to God. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Can you do that? (laughs) That is how he is referred to now. Oh, great. Now 37. Bishop has taken on a female companion whose name is oh. Velvet Gabriela Marquez, and they have a newborn together at this point named Eliana Bishop Marquez. Well, if he's God, then how uh, you can't keep your last name when you're God. I, mm, he never goes by Eligio Bishop anymore, but I guess he gave his daughter his last name to make I it. I think legally I you need. This guy doesn't care about paperwork. legal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't. 
I feel like he's not super concerned about that. This child is probably undocumented. She was probably born under a tree in the middle of the woods. Like, in a shit tree. Hopefully not the tree they shit at. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> By a shit tree. Yes. The poop tree. Mm-hmm. So he made his way back into the headlines because he was arrested in Panama for international crimes, including sexual abuse and pedophilia. Mm. Not shocking. Should have stuck to being a barber. Really, though? That's when you cleaned up your act. So the cult members are being deported at this point after being deemed a, quote, threat to national security. Many of them have been accused of crimes ranging from endangering people's welfare to sex crimes. Do we know, like, how many are physically part of this group? I couldn't find a good number, no. Like, anytime I saw any news article about, like, numbers of, like, people being deported or whatever it's like in the tens you know like okay 11 were deported from costa rica you know like later it's gonna be like 20 something so like he doesn't have a ton physically with him he has a lot of online followers and like from that it's unclear if like they're actually followers of his teachings or if yeah. they're just like, like this guy's I could a, go like crazy yeah I'm exactly yeah exactly so i'm unclear on how many people actually like believe in what he believes and like pra- like practices what right. he preaches but he has like no more than 20-something with him at a time, it seems like, physically okay. with him. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, so they've all been accused of various crimes. No word on the state of their stench in Panama. <laughs> but they are deported. Not entirely clear where they ended up right away. So that was December of 2019. Okay. Next word we get of him, we're flashing forward to June 12th, 2020, which is when I first heard of him. Because Bishop, who is now referring to himself as the Messiah Demigod and Master Chief... I mean, obviously. ...is in Hawaii. Yeah! So he and 20 of his followers were arrested on the big island of Hawaii for breaking quarantine. Amazing. (laughs) That sounds exactly correct. Mm -hmm. So in Hawaii right now, it is the law that if you fly here because of COVID, you have to quarantine for 14 days before you were allowed out and about like in the world here. So that was what was, you know, that was the law back in June as well. And so they arrived here and when did they come in? They came in in June. Okay. Yeah. And they got caught on a beach playing with a turtle, which is also <laughs> a crime. <laughs> we you're not allowed to play with turtles. It's also a crime. Don't fuck with our Hanu. Like you're not allowed to touch the turtles. That is a crime punishable by like i think a few thousand dollars if you touch a turtle damn yeah and people are taking this quarantine seriously here like i guess i read especially like on the big island where there's not a lot of cases people are like not shy about you know turning in people that they think are breaking quarantine yeah exactly yeah and people are getting arrested here like you were people are being arrested in hawaii for breaking quarantine and you get charged sometimes you get sent back to where you came from too so don't come to hawaii right now Okay. So anyway, they get caught playing with a turtle. And he was also posting a lot on social media of like about being at Hawaii. And it shows, you know, obviously pictures of him out and about, which is how a lot of people are getting caught too. Breaking quarantine is like they're posting <laughs> on social media. Like, stupid. On Why are you being stupid? Yeah. Ugh. Exactly. You deserve to get caught. I mean, pretty much, he said like, I didn't think it was that serious of a thing. I guess people don't think it's being taken that seriously, but it is. It definitely is. It definitely is. Okay. So this time they don't like put up any kind of a fuss. They're cooperative with police. 
And the woman who rented her property out to them was also arrested for breaking the emergency order on vacation rentals. I don't know exactly what that order is, but I guess Mm -hmm. she wasn't supposed to be renting out that vacation property. Yeah, some places have, like, they're not allowing short-term rentals, like, so you can only rent for, like, at least a month or something like that. I don't know if that's the case in Hawaii, but I know that's something that, different states are doing for their rentals. Like, they're prohibiting short-term rentals or that. We've also cracked down on Airbnb here. So now, like, if you are on Airbnb, I think you need to, like, register... I don't know, it's like you register as a hotel or something. Like the prices have gone way up for Airbnbs because now you need to charge all these taxes and stuff the same as hotels do. So mm-hmm. I don't know if it was related to like the Airbnb laws or if it was some kind of, it says emer- emergency order against vacation rentals. So I guess maybe during the pandemic, you're not supposed to do these short-term rentals or something. I don't know. She mm-hmm. got arrested too. So good. Bishop and his followers all signed a document at the airport acknowledging that they had this 14-day quarantine. But again, they claimed that they didn't think this was a serious thing. Sure. So they were like, you know, Bishop was like, you know, we broke the law. They're doing like, Hawaii's doing what it's supposed to do. Like, we fess up to it. We I'm surprised it, he's know. that cooperative, to be honest. Yeah. I guess because, I mean, it's not about visas or anything. No one's questioning his way of life. It's like a different situation. Yeah, it's yeah that's true. Times, it's not so. like personally against him. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. But he also said that he thought that people in Hawaii were not welcoming to his group. He said that he had been receiving death threats. I don't know if that's true or not. They said they came here to connect with nature and he wanted to make Hawaii their home, but now he doesn't feel comfortable there. So he left and went back to Hawaii a few days after his arrest and was awaiting for his other followers to come as well. I could not find any further information as to the whereabouts of Nature Boy or his followers since mid-June when all this happened. Wait, I'm sorry. After he was arrested. He was sent to Los Angeles. To Los Angeles. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. And he was expecting some of like his followers to come with him. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I, that's the last he I could just, find like, on Nature alone Boy. alone in an apartment, like waiting <laughs> for his friends. <laughs> I mean, they probably all left at this point, too, because they were I would assume. Feel welcomed. You know, yeah, but I mean, if he's like expecting that, it sounds like he's expecting yeah. them to follow, but doesn't know if they will or if they're just gonna yeah. like. Or, or, I'm not sure. It sounds like they're gonna follow. I think he's just like waiting. He he left first for some reason. Okay. I don't know. So anyway, so no updates on Nature Boy. If I ever find anything, I will let you guys know. But uh, yeah, that's the story of Nature Boy. I hope post pandemic he finds a home in Hawaii. Yeah. Do you? I mean, he's like a sex offender at this point, a oh, thief. Yeah. A oh pedophile. yeah, that's super not great. Yeah. We don't we don't need that here. That's not very aloha. Nobody needs that's, that anywhere. That's not very aloha. No, I hope he finds a home in prison. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. <sighs> Who's gonna come for conjugal visits? Oh tying <laughs> uh, it all back in. Yeah. Oh boy. If you need more updates on Nature Boy or anything that we've discussed in this episode, you can listen to Harpy Hour on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. Wherever you listen, please rate us and leave us a review, particularly during our promo, where you can get stickers for rating us and leaving us a review. Do it. (laughs) Stickers. Stickers. Also, if you have stories you think we might like, or you just want to say hello because you think we're awesome, which we are, Obviously. you know we're awesome, 
You can email us at harpyhourpodcast at gmail.com or you can follow us or you should follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at harpyhourpod. We are also on Patreon. We just recorded another episode today of Ask Me Anything. And if you are a Patreon member at a certain level, you will be able to access that extra content. And it was pretty hilarious and pretty entertaining. So you want very to listen to that. Very heartfelt today. Very heartfelt too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was lovely. Mm-hmm. So if you want some... It's what you need in your pandemic life. If you want something, I mean, ex- extra content to make you laugh, to make you smile, to make you feel. Then head on over to Patreon, give us some money, and we will give you goodies. Give us your money, all that you got. Okay, so thanks for listening. Okay, Okay, bye. bye. bye.